did not look at your story yet. I have to look and see what you wrote, but I'm so grateful to you for <laughs> saving me the trouble of driving <laughs> all the way up to Universal. I know you keep saying, why am I driving up? But for me, it's driving up because you drive up the hill. You have to park. It's it's not the most convenient thing in the world to go to Universal for screenings. You know? Well, it's... <clears throat> I mean, uh, whenever they have a screening on the actual lot, there's either the Hitchcock or the two adjacent theaters, which are somewhat smaller. And then there's also an, another one over in an editing building. I went to see a Sidney Pollack film over there once or twice. And I saw uh, Guillermo's film, um, uh, Mama, there. Mm. But I don't know. Like, uh, there's not a big theater there, that's for sure. There's not a... I mean, you obviously, if you're going to see Oppenheimer, you want to see it at the, at the best theater possible, preferably a 1370 70-millimeter IMAX with the biggest screen possible. Oh, um, yeah, now, no. I sent you something that really, really makes it clear to, I know that you're not, <clears throat> you don't like the idea of thinking in terms of <clears throat> technical terms about how the Oppenheimer should look, but... I know that you understand, for instance, just to boil it down to basics, what a square looks like. It's the, you know, the, 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 the sides are equal to the top and bottom. It's a perfect square. That's what, that's fairly close to what movies used to look like back in the 20s and mm -hmm. 30s, 40s. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and then we had, uh, well, basically, technically, it's 137. Uh, and then we started to see the wider screen things happening in the early to mid, more like the early 50s and mid 50s, uh, 166 to 1, one uh, CinemaScope, obviously, 239 to 1, Cinerama, 1953. So the only thing about IMAX is that in its most uh, organic form, it is 1.43 to 1, which means that for every unit of height, which is considerable in a in a serious IMAX theater. You have one point four three units of width. That's all. Just it's almost square, but it's obviously a little more wide than it is square. But it's much taller than most than regular films, which are at one eight five or two three nine. So mm, okay, that's exotic. Yeah, you've tried to explain it to me. I probably never get it, but that's okay. It doesn't. You matter. don't understand what a square is. No, I do. I just, I, you know, I watch the movie. Yes, I would like to see it on the other way, the rectangle way. That would be nice, but... The rectangle way. That's, that's, the, that's the less good way. Oh, okay. The IMAX way is almost boxy. Almost boxy. That's why you have to sit in exactly the right spot. You can't be too low and you can't be too high. You have to be right in the middle. Anyway, so... Well, I don't, I don't actually fully agree with that. Um, I know that people feel that, in fact, Chris Nolan himself feels that there is an ideal spot within a big IMAX theater, <clears throat> like at the Universal City Walk. They have an excellent one. And, of course, there's an excellent one. We'll all be seeing it at, uh, at Lowe's um, <clears throat> uh, Lincoln Square. So, hmm. anyway. Uh, Eric Cohn's review of it is interesting on your site. Um, yeah, that's something that he said, which is... Um, I don't know what to do with that. Um, I, I, it doesn't sound like in my idea of a uh, particularly uh, flattering assessment, 
Eric said. All right, here we go. Uh, Ready? Quote, Oppenheimer is gripping, but the most curious factor from a filmmaking POV is that the bulk of the movie is men in rooms talking and the terrifying implication that this is the force that could destroy the world. It's almost a filmed play. End quote. Mm. However, I did see a movie, and I, you'll have to help me out here to try to remember the name of it. It was one of the most gripping films I've ever seen, and it was just men sitting around talking. It was about the final solution. So you're talking about the, uh, the film called the, about the Wannsee Conference outside of uh, Berlin, right? Yeah, and the guy from... Final Solution or the Wannsee Conference. Kenneth Branagh was in it. Uh, Kenneth Branagh. Yes. It was very good. Very gripping. Yeah. It's, it's, and, it's, uh, and they certainly don't try to heighten or uh, amplify the dramatic element. They, it's just, they just kind of let it uh, play out on its own terms. You either listen to it or no, you don't. And it, it was so subtle that I had to go back and watch it again because I was like, wait a second. <laughs> what just uh-huh. happened? And yeah. the time when they make their deal, mm-hmm. wait, is it is it Goebbels that does it? No, who's the guy that decides on that? Because Hitler wasn't there. Um, it was one of his henchmen. I just read about this the other day. It was one of his henchmen meeting in that room to talk about the final solution. Don't think it was Goebbels. It was one of his higher-ups. Joseph Goebbels, with a slight R pronunciation, was the minister of propaganda. He was not the... Uh, Let me just look this up now, because now I'm frustrated. Himmler was, was I know... Uh, Himmler. <laughs> say again? Himmler. Let's see. Final solution uh, dinner. Let me just see who was there. Let's see if I can find it. Wannsee Conference, the final solution. Mm-hmm. Conspiracy is the name of the movie. Oh, Okay. But it was so old. It was made in 2001. Mm-hmm. That's so right. So the participants were Reinhard Heydrich, Adolf Eichmann. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Eichmann, who was later captured in Argentina. Is he the one? Okay. So that's what yeah. I was reading about. I was reading about the Nazi mm-hmm. being captured. And, oh, because I was listening to a podcast about his capture, how mm-hmm. he escaped and he disguised himself as a, a farmer and someone identified him. Right. And they came and got him. That's mm-hmm. what I heard it about. Yeah, Adolf Eichmann. Bad dude. He was found guilty, of course, and appropriately hanged in Israel for his horrific uh, impact upon, upon uh, Jewish prisoners of war. Not pri- What did I just say that for? Uh, concentration camp, you know, victims. Can I just yeah. say that there's not enough discussion about eugenics and how it played into all this I was doing because I was researching the transgender uh, youth thing because I think that that is as bad as eugenics and I was looking back at the history I was looking at the New York Times archive and I was reading back to to what they were saying about eugenics back then in the 1920s and earlier because look that was only 40 years after Darwin's origin of the species so it's not that much farther from that uh, scientific revolution in the 1800s, late 1800s, and they were just starting to learn about, so I imagine being totally religious and, and thinking God created the world in seven days and all that. And uh-huh. this scientific breakthrough comes through that, that no, this is evolution and it's a survival of the fittest, but they misread it. 
I mean, they didn't actually misread it because they've used this technique to make dogs smarter, for instance, or horses faster. They breed them. They, we breed animals for certain traits. Yeah. And they were using this same thing on people. They were looking for the what they called feeble-minded, people who were either dumb or in the South it was black people. You know, yeah. they were and they were sterilizing them to try to change you, the course of I, the future. What are you talking about? Huh? What country are you speaking of? America, honey. Yes, I know. <laughs> Oliver Wendell Holmes spoke in favor. Um, Not just him. F- yeah. F- Roosevelt, FDR. Um, well, when, that I didn't know about FDR. Yep, he sure did. And um, Theodore, uh, no, FDR did. And then in England, Winston Churchill did. These very high-minded people, it was, it was at the World's Fair. It was talked about very much the way they talk about gender-affirming care now. Like, they found this scientific breakthrough that was going to improve us. So they were praising Hitler and the Nazis for this, because in, Hitler was, before the war, talking about eugenics and talking about the Aryan race and talking mm-hmm. about how he was going to breed out the non-Aryans. And they all looked at it like, not like racism, they looked at it like he's going to create a superior race of people and we might think of doing something similar was the idea. And what what obviously poured cold water all over this was the fucking Holocaust, right? Like, mm-hmm. and but I think people don't put it in proper perspective because they they look at the Holocaust, they look back at it, and they say, and they, they everybody wonders how could this have happened? How could six million Jews have been gassed? Hitler was just a maniac. He was this racist. He was this fascist. But all of the systems, the institutions around Hitler, way before he ever started his wars, um, we're all going along with this philosophy. So if you think about the final solution in their minds, mm-hmm. and they're, they're first of all, they're high on math or whatever it was they were taking, Hitler too. And they didn't think like, Hitler wasn't, I don't know about Hitler, I can't say, but in general, the people, all of these Nazis went along with this plan because in their minds, they were purging the world of these bad people, these parasites, these Jews, right? These uh, Obviously, intellectually, they thought intellectually inferior, they weren't, and the Germans were never superior, athletically or intellectually. I mean, fine, they were smart, but um, I'm just saying that, I know I'm getting off into the weeds here, but I'm just saying that, like, it is astonishing to me to to have put, at my late day, being a Holocaust obsessive and World War II obsessive, to put these two things together, which I never did before. Anyway, the bottom line is, when you're sitting around in a room talking, you're talking about extermination and a final solution what they're talking about in oppenheimer isn't going to be well maybe it is maybe they're sitting around talking about nagasaki and hiroshima i don't know because i haven't seen it well obviously they're talking about the device that's what i understand we all understand that it's primarily about oppenheimer's story and it's about primarily the manhattan project and the los alamos effort in during the war up until August 6th and August 9th of 45, and then after that. But the general understanding is that there is not a depiction of the logical fruit, the logical uh, point of the whole idea Mm. of building a device that is with the ability to murder thousands of people in a single cataclysmic instant. That was precisely what the building of the atom bomb was about, why it was funded by Roosevelt and by Truman. The idea was to murder 
thousands, tens of thousands of people in a single cataclysmic instant. That was the, 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 the point. And it strikes me, and this is what I actually wrote a little while ago, that it's, um, it seems very, very odd, curious at the very least, um, that that would not be part of the narrative of this film, because that's what they were trying to do. Imagine making a film about the work of Dr. Jonas Salk and not plainly dramatizing in vivid, unmistakable human terms the effect that Salk's polio vaccine had upon children and families across the entire globe. Something tells me that if Chris Nolan had made a film about Jonas Salk, he would not have sidestepped the effects, the human effects everywhere upon tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of children and families about preventing polio from becoming part of their lives. I mean, that was a really amazing thing. It happened in the early 50s. And yet, for a movie about a guy whose life was focused on creating a device, a weapon of terrible power, and um, <clears throat> to, to show him creating it and not show... Well, wait a second. That isn't true. He didn't know. Like, those, those guys who were building the bomb did not know what was going to happen when it hit the... Uh, they didn't even know what was going to happen when it hit Hiroshima because the, the final blasts were so much bigger than the test. And that is what freaked him out because he didn't... The bomb that they tested was nowhere near the same power as what it was when they dropped it on and how they dropped it. And um, they they wanted... It was so insidious. They wanted to find an area of Japan that had not been blown out and emptied out and destroyed by the war so that they could test the effects just of the nuclear. So they ended up finding, res- you know, nice residential areas, schools and stuff. And it was horrific. Is that uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were uh, were cities used for armaments, munitions, war effort stuff? It's not true? I don't know, but I know that there were schools and stuff, and I know that, that it, they had to pick a place that was untouched by the war so far mm-hmm. to drop the bomb, um, to measure the effects, and to cause shock and awe to make the Japanese stop coming. Um, but Tasha, you're saying that they, they, in other words, Little Boy, which is the first one, Fat Man was used on Nagasaki, on Hiroshima, it was Little Boy, and you're saying that Little Boy was bigger than the device that they tested uh, in the Trinity explosion in mid-July. Is that what you're saying? Um, yes, different. And it wasn't that the, okay. Maybe the bomb itself wasn't different, but the way that they dropped it... It didn't go, drop ignited on the top of a tower. It wasn't dropped from a plane. Yeah, I know, and they're dropped from planes and the other ones are dropped. Yes, correct. And, and the, the, the only way that they tested it... Um, all I know is that he goes into the, de- the different details of how the, the bombs were different. They had estimated it. So much uh-huh. less than what it came in at the the damage and the that's why it freaked out Oppenheimer. That's why he said that thing about those poor little people because he it, it dawned on him all of a sudden just the magnitude of it. The whole time he was building the bomb, he was thinking about two things. The idea was to just murder thousands of people. You can't say that wasn't the idea. No, you misunderstand. Oppenheimer was had two objectives to build a Oppenheimer is Jewish, right? Was Jewish. Very persecuted his whole life. Victim of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. So the idea of him trying to build a bomb to kill Hitler has significance because of that. 
And that's what his objective was. He thought he was fighting Hitler. And also this race in the world of physics to develop an atom bomb. Everybody was trying to do it, and he did it. And that was quite the honor. But they were so focused on the science, they weren't thinking about the people. They weren't thinking about the destruction. And the thing about... I can't accept that they were not thinking about that. That's the Well, point. because they didn't understand it until later that they were going to drop it on the Japanese. They were planning on dropping it on Hitler the whole time. And then Hitler... resulted in massive murder on the score of tens of thousands? In Germany, sure. Nobody cared then. Okay. But Japan was a whole different situation. And the Germans, that war was, that part of the war was over. And so, but, but once he saw the destruction, that was when he decided to protest the building of the hydrogen bomb, which is why he got into trouble with the government. Mm-hmm. Because the government was very supportive of building the hydrogen bomb. The guy who, who uh, persecutes him, um, the guy that Robert Downey Jr. plays, I forget his name, but but he's um, he is. I keep hearing Teller in my head, but it's not Teller. Teller's the guy who invented the H bomb. Um, the mm-hmm. guy that the guy that um, hunts down Oppenheimer for his whole life is mm-hmm. a, also Jewish, but much more afraid of war with Russia than than Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer come. Oppenheimer's early life was about communism. He was a communist, but in that wokiest of ways, like not a mm-hmm. not a totalitarian authoritarian. Uh, communist as we know them today, but back then it was just everybody's going to, you know, be equal and and we're going to feed the poor. And and so that's what what Oppenheimer's background was. He was very much a lefty, hardcore lefty early on. And um, and this guy wasn't the one Robert Downey Jr. plays. And he was very much into this idea that Oppenheimer, there must be something wrong with him. Why is he trying to stop us from developing this bomb? He must be a spy. He must be, you know, and so that's how that whole thing goes. But um, but Oppenheimer spent his whole life trying to stop them with three different presidents, and none of them liked him. And um, but one great thing about JFK is that JFK liked Oppenheimer. He was one of the only presidents that did. Um, that mean prosecutor tried to become a senator, and um, I think something like JFK was the one who didn't vote for him. And he ended up losing it because of Oppenheimer. So there was some revenge there. Um, mm-hmm. okay. But anyway, so what they're going to be talking about is going to be the court case, probably. There's a lot of that. And then there's going to be the talking about the H-bomb, the development of the H-bomb. But the problem with that is that to really understand the magnitude of this, you'd have to be like a crazy obsessive like me or you who's watched that day after Trinity documentary Mm-hmm. To see the extent of the damage of these nuclear tests, God, God only knows what it's done to us as a species. God only knows what cancers and autism or whatever else might have come from thousands of tests, or at least a thousand mm-hmm. nuclear tests in oceans, in deserts, you know, in space. Um, and and they just kind of went wild. They went f- fanatical, not just here, but in Russia and China. <clears throat> North Korea. About the fifties, primarily, right? Fifties, sixties. Well, up until up until JFK stopped it, right? It's called the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty of nineteen sixty-three. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it was stopped altogether, but I no, think it, was it wasn't. It, China, China came after that, and so did North Korea. 
and France. Okay. Right. So what a nightmare, you know. Mm. But but again, like it's a weird it's a weird ask for people to come in in a summer movie and understand all that, you know. So I don't I don't know what to say about about Oppenheimer in terms of what anybody else is going to think. I I know that I will love it, you know, just be absolutely one hundred percent my thing. Sure. Um, I'm just so into it. Well, anyway, I, I still maintain, and I cannot understand, I think uh, you couldn't have a, a film about the conspiracy to murder Lincoln and not show the assassination of our president. Uh, you can't show the, the life and the work of Jonas Salk, Dr. Jonas Salk, and not show that what he did was save God knows how many hundreds or millions of people from the ravages of polio. You have to show this stuff. It's about the polio vaccine. You have to show it. That, or don't make that movie. Make some other movie. Well, I just, I just totally disagree with you on that. That Final Solution movie we saw didn't show one clip of the Holocaust. And it was just as chilling as if they had shown it. But we didn't see one picture of a dead Jew or anything like that. We just saw them sitting in a room talking I'm not saying that this is like the Holocaust. I'm definitely not saying that. But um the Holocaust, it's certainly a kind of Holocaust. It just happened in a, in, a, in a couple of instants rather than over years as it did in Germany and Poland and Well, I think the difference between you and me is that I have read the book and so I know what it's based on. Um and I know the whole breadth of his life and all the stuff that's about him isn't you know, I hate to say this because it's kind of mean to say, but mm-hmm. he, you know, the the Hiroshima and Nagasaki thing, like he understood the magnitude of it. Um, but he had his whole life was basically led after that. You know what I mean? Like everything that happened to him happened after Trinity. Uh-huh. And so in his efforts, the reason that he's I think the reason that he says that he's the most important man in the world isn't because he built a bomb. It's because of what he tried to do to stop it and how he had the foresight to understand where this was taking us and was one of the only people. What is your, I mean, just step back for a second. This is the guy who created a device that murdered tens of thousands of people and ended the war of Japan. Whether now you, can, you can couch it in all kinds of different terminologies, but that's what he did. And then he comes around and he says, well, okay, now that I've done that and all these people are dead... I don't want to be part of any more mass murder, and I certainly don't want to be part of another device which is much bigger and much more destructive than the ones that we used in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So uh, that's... uh, It took time for it to sink in because, remember, look, you were a child of World War II. You know, I wasn't. I have no idea what living like that through something like that was like. I know that they were desperate to end the war. I know that everybody was working together. They weren't some, like, woke liberals sitting around going, oh, should we drop the bomb? Nobody was thinking that way. Everybody was like, we have to end this fucking war because we're not going to send over more soldiers and we're not going to keep, and the Japanese won't stop. We keep telling them to stop and they won't stop. They keep coming. And we've, we've, you know, we've lost all of these lives and we've created all of this mayhem all over the world and the Japanese still won't stop. So nobody, not, not even Oppenheimer, was was saying. Not to mention, listen, not to mention, this is really important. It was about the invasion of Japan that was imminent. That's what another. Forget all the other 
horrors that had happened in World War II, the worst horror was about to happen. Was yeah. yet to happen. It was yet to happen, and they were. He was being. Our government was being pressured hardcore by the American people, saying we do not want to send our children overseas anymore. And no, no president wants to lose a war. So losing the war was not an option. Not after everything we just lived through, but. What people can understand, I think, is the fog of war. I don't think people can really comprehend that if they've never been in war or at wartime. And so I think at that moment was the fog of war because they were celebrating when they dropped that bomb. Even Oppenheimer, everybody was celebrating. It wasn't until afterwards, as time wore on, that he began thinking about it and, and starting to forget. It wasn't right then immediately because everybody was happy that he was a hero, he was, you know, he was hailed as a hero for helping to end the war. That's why he went to go meet with Truman. Truman, who called him like a sissy boy or something, um, you know, because he was he was meeting with Truman, but Truman wanted to pat him on the back and say, job well done, sir. Thank you for helping us. And Oppenheimer was like, yeah, okay, but, but there's just this one thing. <laughs> just this uh-huh. one thing. I don't think we should continue with our... Oppenheimer was telling them they should reach out to the Russians and try to make some sort of deal so that it didn't turn into an arms race. Like, that's where he was when he met with Truman. And that that's the amazing thing about him, is that even with the fog of war um, and the generation he was living through, he still managed to have something that most people at that time did not have. Almost nobody did. And that was the ability to see so far forward into the future of what all this might mean. So anyway, I'm just saying, like, you know that the Japanese right now, the victims, um, the ancestors are, are already complaining about this movie. They're already. Then say, don't make the movie. If no, if you can make the movie. This isn't a movie about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's not a movie about the war. Oh, no, of course, it's about the device that enabled it. But it's certainly. Not it's about not even Hiroshima. about that. It's I- about the hydrogen bomb. The, here's the thing I like about the. We can't keep going around and around in circles. We disagree. We have to just leave it at that. But here's the thing that I like about what you're telling me or what Eric Cohn is telling me. You know what it kind of reminds me of a little bit? Mm-hmm. Dr. Strangelove. Because Dr. Strangelove is all in a room. People talk. I mean, it goes over to to the other, you know, sets. Um, but but a lot of it is just takes place in the war room. Uh, so, I love Dr. Strangelove and I love Failsafe, which is also about people talking uh, in in medium and close ups uh, about uh, nuclear d- devastation. So I'm going to be I'm curious per- about that. I'm going to be curious to see how it would look if you stack these two movies <clears throat> up. Because you know, in in Doctor Strangelove, he's joke. You know, the the the, hi- the bomb, the hydrogen bomb. You know, like they're, they're already talking about because that was 1963. Yeah, and so they were already right at the moment where it was time to mm-hmm. to shut it down, but. I'll be curious to hear what Generation Z types think about when they watch this. They're not going to watch it. Right. My guess. Isn't it yours? Yeah, probably. Probably. I have a feeling that a lot of them are going to go to Barbie, of course. But I don't uh, trust or, you know, I mean, I, the smarter ones, of course, will uh, go to uh, to Oppenheimer and, and, you know, particularly those who are cinephiles and want to see it in IMAX and all that. But I don't, uh, I don't believe that most people who are younger, because they do not have in their 
in their own history, in their own media. They're, to them, the, the biggest thing that happened in this country, to this country, trauma-wise or shock-wise, was 9-11. Um, yeah. They, they weren't even around for the challenger or, or, or you know, they, they just, uh, that, that's what means something to them. And this is something that happened uh, in a very uh, jolting and shocking way to my father's generation and, of course, his his parents and, you know, but basically, uh, it just doesn't connect with them, and they're just—they just look at it as an intellectual exercise movie of some sort, with some, you know, some some intrigue as far as because it's about a massively destructive force and all that. That's well, fine. I, I don't think that's right. I'm sorry to have to say. I don't mean to disagree. I just don't think that their reasoning for seeing this movie or any other is to necessarily grok with the story. They just want—if they want to see a movie, they want to see it for how they've been raised, right? Spectacle. So what they want to see is a Christopher Nolan movie. And they don't really care about the particulars. If they see it at all, that's why they'll be seeing it. It's because, well, you know... I, I would love it if every single Gen Z person goes to see it out of that. But, but that's the reason they're going to go. They're not going to go because they want to watch a boring movie about history. They're only going to go because he's Christopher Nolan and because he's filming it. And I'm, you know, the little cinephiles will go. Yeah. Barbie is a whole different thing, obviously. Mm. Barbie is a movie that just is an event. Everybody's going to go see it. Yeah. Um, oh, incidentally, I didn't mean to, I didn't bring this up before, but when you were talking about there's, uh, you can convey the, the, the most horrific scenarios um, from the Wansi Conference movie Conspiracy or from Dr. Strangelove. There's also the one that I saw in Cannes uh, that everybody was talking about, and it will right. probably called The Zone of Interest, which is from Jonathan Glazer, the director of Sexy Beast. And uh, that's about a concentration camp horror that you never see depicted. But it's all about suggestion and implication and hints of what's going on on the other side of the walls near where this mm. German officer family are living. So that's, that's quite chilling. Quite yeah, chilling. I'm excited to see that. I hope I get to see it soon. Um, I would imagine it, it, it sounds like a movie that would be a Telluride. Yeah, I've heard it. It'll probably go to Telluride, and I'm glad, because I really do want to see it. Uh, very excited. Not excited, but interested, since I, you know, that's that's sort of my, one of my major obsessions is that, what? you know, uh, well, the Holocaust, thinking about it. Yeah. Why it no, happened. I, hope and, so. I would hope so. It's, it's, it's um, and Telluride is going to be a little bit different this year, of course, without without talent, which doesn't matter to me in the slightest, but, uh, it, it, um, you know, it'll be you know, a little, little more, bit more of a focus on just the movies. You know, there won't be the tributes, you know, every year. Tell oh you God. Right, yeah. That's not going to happen. And just think of all the planning they've gone through. I bet they already decided who was going to be the recipient of a special tribute. Um, you know, I was thinking if I were them, I might want to have, um, uh, um, what's her name? Um, um, Lily Gladstone from from uh, um, <clears throat> Killers of the Flower Moon because she's going to be the one, almost certainly winning Best Supporting Actress Oscar. You know, come the time, if they want to be smart about it, she would win Best Supporting Actress. Um, and they could have made a big Lily Gladstone uh, tribute thing. It could have been really great for Telluride, but they're not going to do it now. Too bad. Yep. There you go. Well, what are you going to do, huh? Um, 
So I think it's more of a problem in Venice than in Telluride because Venice, they really do count on those publicity events. Sure. Um, as Toronto, as does Toronto, very much. So Who listen, um, yeah. I hate to bring this up, but do you think, <laughs> this is horrible to say, but do you think that um, this means Woody Allen's a writer and he can't show up? They finally are going to screen his movie and he can't even show up? Are you talking about Venice? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Um, I, um, he can certainly do that because he's a director and he just can't have talent there, uh, actors. Um, you can't have writers there. So um, I would imagine if I were he, I would certainly want to show up. I, I, I mean, again, it's, it's the same question of, of, of Chris, you're going to be a filmmaker you're making a film that is that says something that's worth seeing that people have, have spoken well of. Uh, stand up for your film and show up and answer questions, you know. Yeah, but he can't because um, of the strike. But he's not an actor. He's not a writer. He's a director. He's, director, he's not director. a writer? He's, he, yes. I mean, of course he's a writer. What I mean is he you can show up in the, in as a director. It's not a director's guild right. strike. So he can show up. Yes, if he were only a writer, and that was what he did in his life, then he would not be able to, you know, cross picket lines and show up to, you know, promote a film that he had written. But he's a director also. So, all right, let's 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 just um, organize this. I want to talk a little bit about the writer strike and the actor strike, and then mm-hmm. I want to talk about Sound of Freedom, um, and then I want to talk about that thing on your website about men. Okay. Let's be fast then, because <laughs> we've already done a half hour at least. Have we? Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. I'll just do it fast. I think that this is a good time for Hollywood to reset. They won't, of course, but it is a good time for them to do that and to understand why they're so under threat. The writers are under threat because the kind of writing that Hollywood is allowing them to do right now, which is mm-hmm. very sanitized, very woke, very safe, um, you know, with 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 uh, sensitivity readers and whatnot, that's something AI can do. And so, if they want to fight for their careers, they should fight for their freedom as writers mm-hmm. to be able to write good stuff again. Otherwise, why not have AI take them over? That's one thing. And the second thing is, actors don't seem to get where they are in history right now. I go, you know, there are celebrities being made every single day on TikTok and YouTube. And they're far more engaging than the celebrity. We don't even basically have movie stars anymore or celebrities. Tom Cruise, maybe. Um, but Jennifer Lawrence, forget it. And, and what they don't seem to get is that people are more interested, especially Jed Z and Younger, much more interested in this, in this TikTok stars. And the Hollywood people can't get on TikTok and be popular. So basically what they don't really understand about this moment is that it is a great reset for them. It is a fourth turning. It's a moment of where they're, they really are about to expire. And so I understand that they need to fight for their contract so that they can have some security moving into this new world. But if I were them, I'd be really worried um, about the fact that, that they too, just like the writers, turned their profession into active political activism. And if people aren't into that, then they have no interest in them. Mm. Um, so I think that they, they need a wake-up call about actually what's happening in this business, where people are going, where their attention is going. You don't use TikTok. I do, but I know how compelling it is. And it's incredibly, it's far more. Why do you say that I don't? Well, you don't use it as much as I do, I don't think. Maybe you do. 
do you? I, I go on it every day looking for banal, banal bullshit stuff to, that I can, uh, you know, not think about. I don't go on for serious content or something that really strikes. No, it's I'm, just a way to pass the time. But this is political stuff, unless it's making fun of. Uh, the left or the, or the right or, you know, satirical stuff, which sometimes it does. Yeah, and but it is so addicting. And, and I see these stars coming up on TikTok, and I'm just thinking, and YouTube, too. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, how can actors compete, possibly compete with that? Because then you get to somebody like Jennifer Garner or Reese Witherspoon, and they have no status. I mean, they have a lot of followers, but they don't have that same sort of magnetism. Their careers were built on the big screen being playing other yeah. people and having people go to the movies but somehow it all feels so transitory right now doesn't it like it could just go all go up and smoke any minute <clears throat> well i think that uh, a generation or, or or mindset out there people that are more into social media diversion rather than dramas that have been created and written by people of talent i think those people are evil i think they're 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 rancid they're mm. satanic to, to to be indifferent or wave away with a wave of the hand uh, the efforts of really smart people creating really smart narrative dramas. Fuck those people. Yeah, but really smart narrative dramas and really smart screenplays just don't get made anymore. Everything's well, gone. It's become... not happening in, the, in theaters as much, but they're happening. It, yeah, but so it's, it's the woke thing killed Hollywood. It just did. It just killed well, it. Or it has. It's, it's got it. Uh, and I, I think that people, you know, are waking up to the realization that they're shooting themselves in the foot and they're murdering their own brand. And that people in general, not not in the elite blue communities, but outside, uh, hate what's going on in Hollywood. And I think that most people with half of a brain understand that. Well, I it's hope just, that they understand it on a survival level, because what I'm telling you is... These other avenues, YouTube, TikTok, whatever, they don't have those constraints that right. Hollywood has. They can talk about whatever they want, and people are drawn to that. They're drawn to the freedom. Yeah. Um, I don't know where Hollywood goes from here, um, but I, I don't blame the actors and the writers right now for wanting to lock that down. I really don't. I'm totally behind them. Um, I think they need these protections, absolutely. But I, I am also worried for them. I am worried for the for the future at this moment. I don't. I think it's an absolute wrong time for them to be just like the. Nobody could have fact figured that COVID would destroy movie theaters and destroy the business. And and so, but for that to happen at the same time as the Great Awakening is devastating. Yeah. You know, because they look at the box office. This can bring us to Sound of Freedom. Sound uh-huh. of Freedom was the number one box office. In, in 13 days, Sound of Freedom has made $85 million, which is more than everything, everywhere, all at once made in its entire run, before and after it won. I also made more than Jennifer Lawrence's No Hard yep. Feelings, right? And it's made you more. Could add that. It topped Insidious. It, it, was, it was ahead of Indiana Jones, which you know should have at least had some sort of legs, um, and it, it doesn't. And so I'm not saying that... The, Sound of Freedom is the future of Hollywood. I'm just saying that it's a pretty good indication that people are still willing to come out to the movies for the right movie. It's they not are. totally dead, and it's not. It's Hollywood's fault for not making movies that people that are too good to ignore. You know what I mean? And so they need to up their game, all of them, and realize that they're 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 on an egg timer right now. You know their careers. So they they should. Uh, I hope that they understand that. I, 
I've been going to uh, AMC theaters a lot in my region, my neck of the woods in Fairfield County. Uh, I mean, a lot of the times I go to the city, but I but I often go. And I, <clears throat> what I love about, I don't, well, I don't, in a way I don't love it, but I do enjoy the comfort of never having to worry about too many people in a theater or getting a bad seat because there's always plenty of seats. Yeah. Always. Right. I go. And, and I can sit here, so, you know, they always tell you to reserve your seat, which I do. But you, know, you can sit anywhere you want because it's so wide open every damn time. Um, and for the first time in my life, I walked into a theater when I went to see Sound of Freedom. And every single seat was taken except for the one that I happened to reserve, which is right in the front row. Uh, but I had never seen that before. I said, well, this means something, obviously. Absolutely. And I went in on a four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon uh-huh. and almost every seat was filled for every show that day. Obviously, it's Saturday. So but, yeah. I, you know, I see I see movies there a lot. And so I get to know the types of people. Um, and I can tell you pretty with certainty that the kind of people that were coming to see this movie aren't people who usually come to the movies. And it was kind of, it was kind of fun to sit with them, uh, to see this because they were, it actually moved me that, that they were that motivated to get out and see a movie. Like it, it really did. Like they got, they were like the people in Wally, you know, it's like the people in Wally who finally decide they've had enough and they crawl their way out, (laughs) Uh, you know, and they, to get back to life, to real life, you know, and, I just loved that about this. And I actually really good movie, Sound of Freedom. And I don't know. I'm, I, it's unfortunate that I, that the press went after it the way that they did, in my opinion. I think it's a, a very suspenseful film. It's exactly the kind of movie I like that they just don't make anymore. You know? Yeah. Those, no, I don't agree with you, but I don't see it as a high-level suspense film. Uh, someone called it uh, kind of a stately noir. It's not... It's not a, a highly energized uh, go 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 action suspense film. It's uh, no, it's no. A it's a slow. It's medicine. a slow burn. But those. That's what I'm saying. Those are my favorite kind of movies. Uh huh. Those very yeah. slow suspense movies that are based in character. He was incredible. Mm-hmm. Jim Caviezel was just amazing. Really, his. I don't know how you pronounce it. I probably mispronounced it. I think it's Caviezel. Caviezel. Anyway, you know, every year people always ask me, what movie should I see? You know, and people ask me that all the time when they find out where what I do for a living, mm. whether it's a grocery store person or, you know, a mechanic or whatever, just people, random people. What What's good? What should I see? And it's always so hard because of what has happened in movies. <laughs> like, I can't recommend anybody go see everything everywhere all at once. Right, right? That would take like a half hour to explain it to them before... Yeah. And, and and there's so few movies that are just, you know, like I could recommend to anybody. This movie, I could recommend to anybody. My mom, the yeah. grocery store. It's it's the kind of movie that you can put anybody in front of and it tells a good story and everybody's going to follow it and everybody's going to get something out of it. You know, is it is it the most, you know, is it a groundbreaking piece of cinema? No. No, but but it's it stands out because they don't make movies like this anymore. They're too busy trying to make groundbreaking cinema. I noticed, by the way, a couple of people very to the right of me, uh, they quit after about 35 minutes, 40 minutes. And I think that they were queasy. Yeah. They were worried. Oh, God, please. I don't want to watch anything yeah. going in young kids. And and they were I think they were scared of, of 
being exposed to that. So, and I understand what they're feeling. Yeah. I had a couple of walkouts too. Um, One parent had kids with them and I know that I saw an older lady. It it is really rough, but they don't thankfully don't show it. And it's, it's, there's a great payoff at the end, but I understand that it's, it's a really hard thing to see. Yeah. Really, really hard and really disgusting and horrible. Yeah. But you know, it's all set up for the great payoff at the end, you know. Yeah. Um, I would watch that again. The, I mean, Caviso really is, a, there's a way to act just enough to get the point across and let the, the piece itself kind of carry the actor and the performance and the, along. And I, and I love that not once did he overdo it. He just underplayed it just a little God, bit. I know. In every scene. I, I felt really so I, I felt so so frustrated and sad watching him because I thought, God, that is a really really good actor, but because of mm-hmm. his career, how it's gone, his reputation, they're never going to let him back in. But boy, is he good on he the is. screen! And, uh, but all he had to do was not say. Well, I believe that there's been a pizza a pizza parlor conspiracy to take adrenochrome, adrenochrome from children's brains. And I think that Hillary Clinton and... I know, but we live in a time when we are, all of us, monitored by Big Brother. Like, I knew so many people growing up, I said this in your comment section, including my ex-boyfriend who OD'd, who would just say crazy shit because they lived in, like, Vigo or whatever. They lived in a time when we could all say crazy shit because we weren't being monitored by Big Brother. Uh And now everything we say is put down somewhere and recorded and analyzed and used against us, you know. And so I personally don't go into that for in I won't go in for that at all ever after what happened to me all these years with all these horrible monsters online. So I always give people the benefit of the doubt unless they say something to me like Hitler was right killing the Jews. You know, (laughs) like it has to be that bad for me to... um, because I look at the, the internet hitting civilization differently than most people because I've been online half my life, you know? And I watched the effects of social media and I watched the effects of losing journalism and losing objectivity in news and mm-hmm. opinions. And I see how people can go down rabbit holes. And I understand people who just get online without knowing the history and how susceptible they are to things that are hard to tell whether they're true or not, you know? And so I tend to have more sympathy for them rather than judgment. And I understand that yeah. we're in the midst of a massive adaptation and evolution to this new way of living, you know. Yeah, yeah. By the way, um, Barry Diller, this is two hours old from the Daily Mail. He says that Hollywood's top-earning actors and execs, i.e. David Zaslav at Warner Brothers, should take a 25% pay cut as a... Uh, as a gesture to understanding that there's a new paradigm, there's a new uh, economy going on. Well, can't stop what's coming, man. I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I support them in their fight, but I just, I'm just saying things have changed a lot. What are you saying about what Barry Diller just said? Well, is he, is he talking about actors or is he talking about executives? Execs and actors. Big, top-earning actors and execs should Well, say I that. agree with the actors. I, don't, I, I think the actors need to rethink about their, their futures. I think the executives are going to make money no matter what because they always do. But the executives make money no matter what, meaning they can get their, themselves in on all of this new technology and continue to be executives. Actors are the ones who 
they themselves as human beings have to fight for their place. And that's going to be really, really hard in the future coming going forward. Mm -hmm. Because anybody can get online, Jeff. Anybody can be a star now. A big star. You know what I mean? And so what they should all be doing is figuring out how to put themselves online and build platforms. um, And that will help them and not be political. Don't take a political side. If you want to do that, do that. But it's not going to help you build a large platform. Um, look, I don't have all the answers. I really don't. But Barry Diller, pay cut. Twitter is always going to shut down any sort of solution like that, right? Because they are just kind of like, we want what we want. And, you know, they'll shame anybody who tries to give them a reality check of like, look, this is what's happening in our business right now. You, you understand what he's saying, don't you? He's saying that if the big earners take a voluntary 25% pay cut, they're freeing up money that could go towards the rank-and-file actors. That's what Yeah, but, but they will say no. They will say, huh? no, we don't want to do that, Barry Diller. You can take the pay cut. All of you at the top, you take the pay cut. We're not going to take the pay cut. None of us actors, the Tom Cruise and the George Clooney's and, you know, the people who make Leonardo DiCaprio, who make so much ridiculous amounts of money. Um, mm-hmm. They're not going to take a pay cut. Not a chance. That's the idea. Why I think it's a good idea is to say, uh, let's let's we have a system now where there's the super wealthy who are living high on the hog, and their parents and their children and their nephews are all going to live like kings, and the rest of us are going to have to kind of scrunch along five hundred dollars in the bank, that kind of thing. Yeah. Fran Drescher is justifiably uh, outraged that that is a system that is that we're living with, and it's not just actors, but it's all people in in work, working class jobs. And there's this elite oligarchy that is um, basically has that lifestyle. They have that top of the yeah, thing. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And, and Barry Diller is saying, "Why don't we uh, show that we understand and we hear you?" By by cutting back on the the, the 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 lavish lifestyles that we have, just cut it back a little bit and, and throw it into the kitty. Yeah, that seems like a reasonable. I think so too, but I don't think they're going to do it because they're not looking for a short term fix. They're looking for a long term fix. They haven't. The actors haven't been on strike since what 1960. Um, and and the thing is, is um, be be specific. It's the first time that the writers and the actors together have gone. Oh, okay. All right. Um, but what they're doing is they're trying to set the, up the, they're trying to evolve and adapt to the new. But the problem with that is that the new technology is democratized so that everybody can participate in it and not just actors. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. All of these people are going to be plucked off of YouTube and, and all of these social media to, to, to act in shows on Netflix and so it is a it is a moment for the unions to really figure that out because um, I think they should just invent a whole new union, not SAG anymore, but some other thing that covers mm. all this stuff, you know. Um, mm. And then if you have if you log so many hours or you have so many followers, let's say you have twenty five million followers, then you're then you're in the union, you know, maybe more than that, maybe a million. Right. Um, I, I think it's going to take something like that. But listen, I am absolutely the wrong person to ask on this. The only thing I can tell you is that actors are 
very quickly losing their value across the board, in my opinion. So, all right, what was the last thing we had to talk about? The boys, the men. The oh, men. yeah. Well, that's a Washington Post piece that uh, ran uh, on July 10th, and it was uh, discussed on NBC uh, a day or two ago. And uh, the, the basic uh, article said that. Um, all I have to do is find the stupid thing. Okay, yeah. The basic article was written by a um, a, 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 a woman uh, called Christine Emba, a very respected and very, very, very articulate writer. Uh, the piece is called Men Are Lost, and here's a map out of the wilderness. It was, you know, trying to be emphasizing not so much the despair, but the constructive ways. And the, and the long and the short of it is that <clears throat> There are more people, guys, I mean, younger guys, 20s, 30s, who are living with their parents than are living with girlfriends. Mm. That's a pretty astonishing statistic, if you ask me. And that's uh, the way it is for many. And it's not just strictly about incels. It's, well, but it is about guys who just don't have <clears throat> a very good feeling of, um, of being valued they feel uh, dismissed, and they feel a lot of like, where am I going? What's, where is the value in, in society for someone like myself? Mm. And I'll, I'll just throw out what I what I wrote, and I okay. and I basically said this, but I'm trying to be provocative, of course. But I basically said, uh, younger straight guys are lost and floundering, and it's partly the fault. Now, this is important, figuratively speaking, not literally, figuratively speaking, of Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie. And I wrote that obviously not in a sprawling sociological sense, and I certainly don't mean Gerwig and Robbie themselves. I do mean, however, that men feel vaguely deballed and uncertain <laughs> and adrift because of the culture, the, the, the woke culture, basically white male denigrating wokester, you know, Stalinism, and and what I call, the, or what rather I should say, um, um, uh, the <clears throat> uh, um, screenwriter um, um, uh, Diablo Cody called the uh, feminist girl boss syndrome. And, um, of course, I was completely dumped on for, for, for mentioning uh -oh. this. But the, but the basic thing that was that, um, you know, I haven't seen Barbie, as I say, but, but who isn't? half persuaded, a little bit persuaded. I mean, based on, obviously, on the avalanche of marketing materials and the trailers and whatnot, that this is largely about uh, vengeance and assertion of power by, by women and, and gay guys and, sub, and the sublimation or flat-out dismissal, if you will, of straight white males who have no part in mm. this. And then, then who would want them to be? It's it's a it's a it's a Barbie movie. It's not for straight white guys, but basically they're not in it at all. And it's basically you know not that Barbie wants to necessarily um, dismiss or backhand regular heterosexual schlubs, but the film is obviously a pink and girly feminist identity, gay guy, yay yay diversity thing. And it's it's just one indication of where the culture is. Straight guys are basically get off to the side. You, we're not particularly interested in what you have to say and who you are, what you're about. Um, you know, do what you want to do, do the best you can. We're not trying to start and stand in your way, but we're not interested in you. And um, I think that's a fair assessment of what the, the culture is saying. 
I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Yes, it's it's emasculation, Jeff. That's what it is. It's emasculation in film. There are no male heroes. Joe Biden is an emasculated leader. Um, we don't yeah. have any strong male role models on the left anymore because they've decided yeah. that men are the problem. Toxic masculinity. This was a long, slow slide. Yeah. And unfortunately, all what that's meaning, what that's going to mean is that all these guys are going to head over to the right. For one yeah. thing, that's they're going to lose white men. They already are. Not just white men, young men, all men. And over on the right, they have no problem with any of this. They're 100% like Josh Hawley just wrote a book about men, about how to be a man, how to be a young man, how to be a good man. They're traditional all the way down the line. And, uh-huh. um, and that is why... I'm not religious, but this is why God created conservatives, because the pendulum swings all the way to the left. And then when it gets nauseating and awful, it has to swing all the way over to the right. When when it gets Uh nauseating and awful on that side, it swings all the way back. We're at the moment where we've swung so far to the left, we have men castrating themselves to become (laughs) women. Um, So, yes, it is a problem. Um, I don't see the left being able to tackle it because they're so overrun by people who will shout them down, like all of your commenters no doubt did to you. But I I will say this for Greta Gerwig, listening, and I told you this already, but listening to an interview with her, I I watched all the Barbie interviews just out of curiosity because I I don't know what the movie's about. So I've been trying to figure it out. And everything I've heard, it's like a female empowerment movie. Yay, that's going to be fun. But, um, but, But I did hear her say that she was conscious and aware of men. And I heard her be very sympathetic about that. And I think it's because she has a son and she worries about her son growing up in this, in this crazy world. Um, and I, and I think that she, she's smart enough to understand that, 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 that there's a problem here. Um, because she kept including boys in her conversation, like, and boys, you know, and and so it, it did make me think. Well, okay, so she's she's giving this some thought. I don't think they necessarily have to impose that into this movie, like you said. It's it's for gay men and for women and whatever. It's it is right. what it is. But um, but I I got chewed up on Twitter for saying that when someone asked how to improve Hollywood, and I said bring back masculinity, and I don't I don't think it's a shock that Sound of Freedom just did so well. But it's about a masculine man at the saving kids from child sex trafficking, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's a hero people can look up to. So millions, okay, so thousands of years of evolution um, were built on a male patriarchy. It's not just a societal thing. It's a biological thing in our species specifically. And you can't just have all these men who are bred for war and for strength and for mating and for always making the first move and for always being the backbone of the, you know, society and the family and just all of a sudden tell them, well, you go stand over there. We don't need you anymore. That's and, definitely left is saying, has been saying for about five, six years, about longer. Yeah, sure Question is. about that. And it's a disaster. It's made movies yeah. worse. It's made the Democratic Party weaker. Um, and yeah. it, it's, it's frankly a bummer. Because everybody likes men, you know, women like men, men like men. So taking them away oh, I don't is like bumblefuck men from Alabama who think like idiots. I'll take uh, a bumblefuck guy any day over a guy who. <laughs> uh, uh, I better right. not finish that <laughs> sentence, but I'm just saying, okay, like 
you know. I like guys who know how to fix cars, who are, who are good with their hands, mm-hmm. who are uh, good natured, who like to have a beer and tell jokes. You know, I like I like masculinity in general. I, I like guys who are uh, who are generous of heart when there's uh, some some person who needs a, a hand. You know, like their car isn't running or give them a push off the side of the road. I remember this great moment that I had. One of my finest, uh, my friends and I were driving back from the city so late that it was the next morning. It was like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. And we were on the Mirror Parkway. And all of a sudden we came along. We saw this Volkswagen lying on its side. It literally is lying on its side. No, it was upside down. It was upside down. And uh, we pulled over, and there was a guy standing there kind of looking at it. He was fine, but he had um, made a mistake and got into it. And so we all kind of, like, helped him right the motorcycle. I mean, the, the Volkswagen, and, and help it. Uh, and it was fine, you know, because it's a Volkswagen. He drove mm-hmm. off, and we said, okay, be well. You know, I, I love that spirit of, 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 of uh, bon ami and, you know, helping people out and that kind of thing. So I do, too. You know, there's a lot of We do need the strength. It's one of those things that you miss when it's gone. It's like female femininity. You miss it when it's gone. Um, uh, uh, I've got to reserve judgment on Barbie until I actually see it, you know? But, um, But yeah, I mean, I would be worried. If I were a guy right now, a young man, I would move to a red state and I would find myself a nice conservative girl. (laughs) <laughs> that's what I would do, but uh, but that's just me. But um, because you know you're you're at least going to be treated in a different, slightly different way. You're going to be treated with respect. They're going to admire your strength. They're going to like it. Look, I'm not saying that's all perfect. We know because we lived through the '70s and '80s. We know where all that can go. We know how bad it can be when it's over on the other end of the spectrum. You know. Um, and I, you know, I don't know, but I, I just, I think that masculinity is something that we need in our culture it's an important ingredient it's like the caffeine and coffee it has to be there um anyway we've gone on and on but let me just ask you a couple of things of a lightning round i i recorded these movies on tcm the other night i haven't watched them but i want to run them by you because they were movies i've never seen but they're strange movies okay so one is the night of the lepus ever heard of it no no Okay, so, so The Night of the Lepus stars Janet Lee. takes place in the 70s. It's about rabbits that become giant killer rabbits. Um, another one is The Swarm. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of that, The Swarm. Swarm is a notorious film that I happened to see at the 13th Street Playhouse back in 78. And it was one of the most uproarious, funniest uh, screenings I've ever been to because people started to talk back to the screen. <laughs> after half hour and it was it was so much fun i never had it was like the rocky horror picture show you know people getting into talking with a movie or singing the song it was one of those experiences oh so, man but it's terrible it is a terrible film to see alone uh you know in your living room because it's it's ghastly however poor janet lee i mean she was um Touch of Evil and Psycho and uh, all the great films that she was part of, you, you know, the Vikings, anything. And then she was reduced to the Night of the Lewis in the 70s. You know what? <laughs> she's really she's really hot looking in it. Um, uh, that was my main takeaway was that she, okay. she looked pretty damn good all right. um, for being older and everything. Um, the uh, the other one is the um, – the uh, what was it I texted you? It's called um, – 
the it has Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson. The Fortune. Oh yeah, but you just saw that. I oh, I tried to watch it. I haven't finished it. Does it have a plot, or does it just keep going on and on like it does? Well, it keeps going on like it does, and it's really like the Michael. It's the last Mike Nichols movie that he made that had that style of of shooting. He used to be into kind of. Uh, static camera and it would just sit there and watch things happen but not moving the camera too much uh it was a it was a certain way of that the, gra- the graduate was made and certainly catch 22 and a uh, carnal knowledge so it was the last one that he made of that style and i uh, remember uh, richard silver the production designer telling me about that, that that was the last one after the failure of the fortune which was pretty uh, pretty awful uh, in most people's uh, yeah, assessment. Yeah, I would I would had. agree with that assessment. <laughs> yeah, but it, that he he just uh, collapsed and he didn't come back until Biloxi Blues, I think it was in eighty or seventy nine, um, and and then of course after that was um, uh, Silkwood with Meryl Streep, and then he was back in the groove again. But he had a, a rough time. He did a lot of theater and he kind of lived in New York and licked his wounds but after the fortune he was um and also day of the dolphin that was also a, a wipeout for him so it was the one-two punch of day of the dolphin and then the fortune that really crushed his crushed his game and his uh, his sales went limp and uh, you know we all have to do that from time to time well i um i like this and next time i talk to you i'm gonna have another lightning round for you i wish i had the other movies that i you have such a wealth of knowledge it's amazing um I wish I had the names of the other movies that I recorded, but I don't remember them. They were so obscure and weird. Those are the only three that I can remember. I think one was about a, a wolf on an, uh, or, or no, some kind of weird prison movie where a woman was on an island with a bunch of guys that escaped from prison. Okay. Uh, which I haven't seen, but I'm just sort of into this era of these weird schlocky movies from the 70s and 80s and and um some film noir of the 1950s because basically cinema today is dead <laughs> so i'm i'm mining the past now for everything that i haven't seen before so yeah by the way i'm looking at the posters of the uh, rabbit movie with janet lee mm. and spelled this is oddly but it's spelled not lupus as in uh, that that's a term for a disease uh this is a night of the lepus it says l-e-p-u-s mm. It is about giant rabbits, but it's leopards. Giant rabbits. <laughs> I had to turn it off because it was too abusive to the animals. It was obviously in the days before PETA. Um, I really wanted to see the giant rabbits kill people, but um, getting to uh, that point. Let's use our imagination. Let's suppose that <laughs> rabbits are out there. How is a rabbit going to kill Sasha Stone, for instance? Well, they had a really gruesome scene where the girl is sleeping and dreaming about the murderous rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> and so the little rabbit, you know, imagine a rabbit eating a carrot, but they're yeah. eating an arm. So they're all bloody and gory, this rabbit. So they can use their little tiny arms for holding And the teeth, people. yeah. Uh, listen, I should probably just fast forward it in the movie to see the part where they have the big rabbits just so I can see what it looks like because I did have to turn it off after I saw them cruelly treating the rabbits, the little rabbits, before they got big. I think it's a revenge movie. I think that this moment in history is a really great time to bring back the monster movie of like uh, Nature Strikes Back movie. Hmm. Here, let me just read you some copy from A Night of the Lepus. 
uh, killing, comma, eating as they prowl, <laughs> growing large, a nightmare born, that tragic moment when science made its great mistake. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> there's no limit to the horror, no end to the Night of the Lepus. Exactly. Co-starring Stuart Whitman, Janet Leigh, Rory Calhoun, all those two poor people have seen much better days. I just can't but, believe poor Janet Leigh in doing this movie. Like, you know, that, that talk about your paycheck movie. <laughs> Everybody's got to pay the bills. You know. and, and the ratings for it online are so bad. Like, they can't even yeah. give it props for being weird. Like, it's got like one and a half stars and stuff like that. Right. So it has no redeeming mm-hmm. features. But maybe okay. you should try to watch it <laughs> when you try to talk about it. It sounds like a challenge. It sounds like I'd like to do it. Sure. All right, Thank do you. it. I'll, I'll, ch- I'll, ch- I'll meet the challenge. Um, okay. you, you also have to watch The Swarm, and then we should find one other disaster or, you know, monster movie to watch, and we can review those next time. I've had my ultimate <laughs> swarm experience. I've, I've told you about it. I really was one of the – I'll never – I don't want to mess with it. It's one of the greatest – All right, uh, well, then we have to think of another movie that, that will fit that bill. I mean, there was a, there was another one on there, but it was just too gruesome. I think it was something like a rat stuck in a building. It wasn't Willard, but it okay. was something along those lines. But anyway, if you can think of anything, let's share, and we'll we'll try to watch them before the next time. All right, great, sounds good. All right, well, that was it. I hope you have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. All right, we'll talk have a nice to you later. Okay. All righty, bye bye. Small